guess the joke is on me. You're not Batman after all. Looks like there's a new face in Gotham, and soon his name will be all over town. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Does It Hold Up, the podcast where we discuss movies that came out prior to 2010, just to see if they'd still hold up to today's standards. This week, we are going all the way back to 1993 for an animated classic film known as Batman, Mask of the Phantasm. Initial thoughts? was like no Batman movie I've ever actually watched before. That's fair. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever really watched any of the animated Batman movies, really. Not um, as much, honestly. I know they're supposed to be like really good. I just never got around to watching them before. Did you ever watch the 1992 Batman cartoon series? I did not. I mean, I've caught an episode here and there, but I haven't watched it all the way through. Got it. Okay, well, first of all... You should definitely watch that. It's brilliant. It's going uh, on my list. <laughs> in, every, in every way. And this movie is actually based off of that. This is this is a story that lands in that universe. You know, it's not part of the newer animated things. It's part of that run from 92 to 2004 with Batman the Animated Series, Superman the Animated Series, Justice League, and Justice League Unlimited. Uh, and Static Shock. We can throw him in there as well. Uh, these are all kind of connected. And this was the only theatrically released DC movie during that time period. Yeah, I didn't really think they had a lot of uh, rele- like theatrical releases for their animated movies, so I was surprised to see that this was one of them. They don't. Usually it's like big tentpole things that like comic book arcs that people were crazy about and been begging for movies. They're like, hey, we can make some money. Let's put it in theaters. This one, nobody was asking for it. In fact, like the Phantasm doesn't even exist in the comic books. This is the first appearance of that character. It's an amalgamation of a few different characters, mostly being Batman Year Two, the comic book, Mm -hmm. uh, that arc. Its villain is known as the Reaper, and this is... And it's kind of based on that. Um, So this movie is two comic book story arcs. It's Batman Year One and Batman Year Two, kind of combined to create a, a new story which is interesting you know usually it's like they, they pick one arc and they just kind of run with it like batman the killing joke that was one it ended up being a terrible movie um, <laughs> that people went and saw though like it made money but it was a bad movie unlike this one which in my opinion is a great movie and it's reviewed critically well over the years people have found it and they've fallen in love with it but it didn't do well when it first came out like people weren't really watching it and i can see why honestly going into this knowing absolutely nothing about any of the the themes any of the comic books i was expecting more of a like straight on uh, batman movie and this is more of a bruce wayne movie so i can kind of see where the average viewer might not have been like running out to see this movie oh yeah so Let's go over what the what happens in this movie, what this movie's about. So this movie, Batman, it, it's kind it goes back and forth between today and flashbacks to the past. And in today, Batman is fighting a new vigilante known as the Phantasm. Um, if you follow our TikTok at 
does it hold up underscore between each word, um, you'll actually learn a fun fact about the phantasm over on there. So, you know, give us a follow. But he's fighting the phantasm who's killing mob bosses in the today. And then the flashbacks are all about him and his love interest, Andrea Beaumont, who is a completely new character, had never existed before this movie. Um, so you just get a lot of, like, jumping back and forth, but we spend a lot of time in the past, and even in the present, Batman doesn't have a huge appearance because it's all about Bruce Wayne. This is, and I tried to warn you about this before we even started the movie, is this is not a Batman movie. Despite what the title says, this is a Bruce Wayne love story. And I wonder if that's what turned people off. I could honestly see people being turned off by it, especially with it being named Batman, and then it being Bruce Wayne's love story. Because that's not necessarily what people go to see, especially in movies, like in a TV show. Yeah, that would fly all day. They have a longer time to really Batman and Bruce Wayne. But this movie really focused on Bruce's Bruce Wayne. And it, it would throw off... Your average fan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so our first fun fact of this episode is that do you know who uh, Gene Siskel and Robert Eger- Roger Ebert are? Yes. Two of the most prolific critics, movie critics of all time. Yes. So a lot of the movies that they used to review, they never saw it in theaters. It was always screeners and stuff like that that they would be sent so that they could watch it at their own leisure and then review it on their show. Mm-hmm. Well, when this movie came out, it was about two weeks later that they reviewed it and both of them regretted having not been able, been able to see it in theaters. They both showed great regret to be like, I, this is a movie that you, we should have seen in theaters and it's embarrassing that we saw it at home instead. And if that doesn't say thousand words just in that, I don't know what else does. That's true. That's not something you would normally hear from any critic, let alone those two. Yeah, so... You know, that that just goes to show that it was really good at the time it came out. Just for some reason, nobody went and saw it. One of my favorite things about the movie is actually the score. And it starts brilliantly with, you, you guys just heard it at the beginning of this episode, that's the opening theme to Batman and the Phantasm. It's this slow, like, ancient, gothic choir chanting. And it's hypnotizing. And it doesn't let up from there. It has this beautiful underscore that just ebbs and flows and really can emotionally impact you more than, like, what I expected it to do. But it still had that undertone of the Batman theme that you can really pick out there. So you were like, I know what I'm getting into with this opening theme. Yeah. You still were like, okay, well, even with this gothic chanting somebody's going to get beat up and it's going to be great <laughs> yeah. because you can match it to that style of music. In fact, in, in apologies, um, I will look it up while you talk about this next point, but the person who did the score, the woman who did the score for this movie, actually has said in interviews since it's probably her favorite score she's ever done. Well, it's probably the best she's ever done because it hits the mark so well. Most of the things that we watch with Batman in it have that ha- kind of gothic theme to it. So really 
to bring that out in such a in-your-face way, but also just stylize it enough so that it is so perfectly Batman and so perfectly gothic at the same time is such a hard balance to strike. Oh, yeah. Her name was Shirley Walker. She was the composer for this. And what's great about it is a lot of modern Batman and even some older Batman, they kind of found one note and just stuck to it. And they hammered it home again and again. Every time Batman showed up, we're getting it, we're getting it, we're getting it. Mm -hmm. This one was like, cool, here's a little bit of the Batman theme from 1992 cartoon, but also look at the wide array of different styles of music that we can use to portray emotion and get you invested. They didn't just follow a routine. Yeah, which is really important for a story like this, where we're getting to see more aspects of Bruce Wayne slash Batman than we normally get in a usual Batman fair. Absolutely. Um, So the next thing is, let's talk about, you know, we just talked about the story and the score. Let's talk about the actual screenplay. Mm -hmm. The pacing, the dialogue, how well things were written. What do you, go for it. What do you want to talk about first? Honestly, you give me a sassy Alfred, and I am there for it. Well, then again, sassy Batman, Bruce Wayne, sassy everyone. This movie really played on that sass level and that, like... And yet it felt real. Oh, my God, so real. I was just like, I am here for all of you. Come, just talk to me. I mean, we have this <laughs> we have this scene towards the beginning of the movie where Bruce is at a big event, big, huge party, and women are all hanging all over him, and a woman walks up and throws juice in his face or drink, whatever it is. Yeah. And, you know, he has to walk away. And one of the congressmen comes over and hands him a handkerchief. And he's like, oh, I, you know, better than your love life. That's how my life's doing. And, like, that's just sass. And Batman just kind of, like, throws the handkerchief back at him and just stomps away in, like, this, like, diva-type thing. Oh, no, he does it even better. Because what he does is he gently folds up that napkin and he's like, thanks for the napkin, I know exactly where you can stick it. Like, that is the level of sass and just comebacks that are in this movie that is so not unlike what DC is now, but what Marvel is now. Yeah, it's... it's quippy but like sass quippy it's not just here's a joke for the sake of a joke it flows in rhythm with mm-hmm. the script i'm glad you remembered that scene like verbatim because it is wonderful yeah. and it really demonstrates <laughs> and that's early on so you kind of get a sense of where you're going yeah from there you get and obviously alfred's always sassy every time bruce does anything or or batman does anything he's just in his face like mm-hmm Yes, sir. I don't want to say it, but you probably shouldn't do that. I mean, he literally talks about the fact that, like, he has a say in Batman's life because he, like, helped. Changed his diapers. (laughs) He's like, you can't tell me what to do or you don't know me. Uh, Bruce tells him, you don't know me, Alfred. And he's like, I used to change your diapers. I would like to think that I do. And it's wonderful. But it's really hard to make that kind of, like, quippiness sound realistic. And they did it so perfectly in this movie oh yeah and it's not just that the dialogue's great because it really is i mean there's definitely some beats that just don't hit and there's some awkward things said but overall it really finds a rhythm and i think it creates a really good pace 
even with the flashbacks. I'm not a huge fan of movies that do, here's present day, we're in a flashback. Here's present day, we're in a flashback. Here, and they just keep that routine going because I always feel like just show me the flashbacks, then tell me what's happening now. I don't want to jump back and forth. Sometimes it's hard to follow. It's hard to know what time frame we're in. I think this movie did a really good job, not only with the characters being subtly aged. I don't know if that's something you noticed while watching it, mm -hmm. but they, they look exactly the same. But when you look at them in detail, it's a little extra line here. Their face is a little rounder than it was before. They're a little more filled out, but not dramatically. It's not like, oh, it's been 10 years and wow, they've completely changed so that you'll know it's 10 years. It's just these subtle things and that really adds to it. But they also changed up a little bit of the color aspect as well. The flashback scenes were a little brighter than the modern scenes. And I think that plays really well. Yeah, I don't have your complete hatred of the time jumps in movies. But I will say this one did it very well. To where I was never confused on what time period we were at or what was happening in the story. So let's talk about the voice actors. So if you're a fan of the old Batman cartoon or any of the movies or anything that came out around that time, you're going to recognize Kevin Conroy. He's the voice of Batman. He will forever be the voice of Batman. No matter who else puts the cape and cowl on, it's Kevin Conroy. Kevin Conroy is Batman for me. And what's interesting about him is this is always one of the funniest stories that I know about this cartoon and about the car the TV show cartoon, they auditioned a ton of guys to be Bruce Wayne Batman for the cartoon. And they all came in. They probably did a wonderful job, blah, blah, blah. But when Kevin Conroy came in, he didn't know if he was going to get the part. He just, like everybody else, just out there on a whim. And he actually brought two voices. He brought his normal voice, which he used for Batman, and then he put on this hoity-toity, little more high-pitched voice for Bruce Wayne. And what's so crazy about that, it sounds like, well, duh, you're playing two different characters. You should totally do that. What's crazy is none of the other auditioners really did that. He was the first one to walk in and go, I have two distinct voices that are just similar enough to understand their connection, but enough that nobody could tell the difference. And Andrea Romano, who's the casting director you know, does all the voice casting, was like, cool, you're in, done. Now nah, I don't need to hear anybody else. You got the job. What I find uh, interesting is that his regular voice is the Batman voice. Nowadays, that is the reverse. Like, everyone has to do their normal voice as Bruce and then put on a crazy gravelly voice for Batman. Yeah, it's always, hi, I'm Bruce Wayne. And I'm Batman. Yeah. And it's like, no, that's not how that works. And Kevin Conroy came in and said, I'm Batman, and now I'm Bruce Wayne! And it was like, what are you doing? But it turned out so amazing because you see the similarities in the vocal patterns and everything, but if you put those two voices on and said, which, you know, are, is it the same person? No. And yet you can tell the similarities in them when watching this film. Yeah, it, it's, it's brilliant. And he's always brilliant. And then we have the wonderful Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. playing Alfred. Now, he played Alfred in the 90s cartoon, he played it in this movie, he played in all Justice League, everything that came out afterwards, until recent, until he hit about 2010, and then he was no longer the voice of Alfred. Talk to me about him, because I, I think he's great. I think he has that, like, British, 
superiority to him, and yet he's so down to earth at the same time and feels like a guy who you could just have a drink with and talk. And I'm not even sure how you pull that off where it's like, I'm better than you, but also let's get a drink together. Well, yeah, I mean, he plays that idea of Alfred, the idea that you are, uh, quote-unquote, subservient to this guy because you work for him, and yet you're also, like, his parent. Yeah, you're, like, his dad now? Yeah, like, you have to be his voice of reason in a lot of instances. And he doesn't take any crap from him, and it's yeah. like, how do you how do you portray, and I, I, would, I would love to ask this guy if I ever met him, is how do you portray Yes Master with, no, you're not doing that. It, yeah. Because somehow he manages it, but I'm at the same time, I'm like, how the hell would I be able to do that in just, like, a normal sentence? Yeah. Because you get both in every sentence. In every sentence. It's, I don't think you should be doing that, sir. Dinner is ready. And you're like, wait, hold on. How did you just pull that off where it all sounds believable? Yeah. Just crazy. And then... (laughs) His, his, she was so wonderful, but as Andrea Beaumont is Dana Delaney, who I feel like maybe other actresses could have done it, but she was perfect. Yeah, she added that level of like uh, confidence to this character that was all about that. Like, I'm here, I'm strong-willed, I am... I don't need no man. Nope. But also, if you want to be with me, that's cool, too. Yeah. I don't need no man, but um, you didn't call me, so <laughs> I found you. Now you're gonna be mine. Yeah. Like, that was the vibe she always gave off whenever she talked. Yeah, it's this, like, hint of feminism mixed with undeniable power and a little bit of weakness mm-hmm. a little bit of insecurity all rolled into this wonderful little ball where you're just like man make a movie about her let yeah. me just watch her for two hours i'm fine with that we'll see her taking on the world yeah because not only was the voice acting great but her character was written so well and so andrea romano who many people theorize andrea beaumont was Named after the voice casting director. Mm-hmm. Um, but Dana Delaney impressed her so much that when they created the Superman animated series a few years later, they called her and said, hey, you are now the new Lois Lane. And that's <laughs> how she got that job. She actually didn't audition to be Lois Lane in the Superman series because Andrea Romano remembered her from working on this movie and just called her and said, if you want it, it's yours. How impressive do you have to be doing your job to a year, two years later, get a phone call and just say, hey, job's yours from that one time we worked together. Incredibly so. Yeah. One thing that I absolutely impressed me so much about this film was its ability to portray the characters and their characterizations through that voice acting that they did. You got a lot from each character about who they are from those characters' voices. Oh, absolutely. Usually it's like through the writing or through the storytelling, dialogue, all that, that you kind of get to know these characters. But just their voices alone let you know who they were and where they were in life. Because Mm -hmm. when Dana Delaney was doing young Andrea Beaumont, or Andy, as she was called throughout most of the movie, 
you have this this air, this this sense of entitlement about her because she's a little bit of a rich girl, you know. All I was gonna that. say a little bit of naivete. Na- yeah, exactly. But then later, when she shows up again years down the road, it's she has this more gravitas to her. It's still obviously the same voice. She's playing it the same way. She's just changed her vocal pattern and everything just enough to know that, that you she know went that this character stuff. has gone through. Yeah, it's gone through stuff. Yeah, and it's amazing. It's yeah. amazing. I think all of the voice acting in this, and there's a lot of little people that I, I didn't mention, a lot of little parts, a lot of other voice actors. They were all great. None of them really stood out as like bad. Um, one that I want to give a little bit of a shout out to is mark hamill because he's the joker uh once he will again, always be the joker he, he is the <laughs> joker he's the definitive joker for me from the cartoon series and all these movies and the justice league series we need live action mark hamill just saying as joker yes yeah absolutely uh and he just it's his, it's the way he spins on it every joker we've seen in live action in voice work and anything they all do something different this one just always stands out to me i yeah same honestly like i love heath ledger's joker that's my favorite of the live action jokers that we've seen thus far but just his voice the way he does joker yeah it's just like oh my god this guy is crazy insane like he's going to kill us but he's gonna have a good time doing it but i also want to hear what he has to say yeah yeah because he just, he's always going to have that one little liner that's like, oh my god, like, what? what are you, yeah, what are you doing? Um, so it's just, it's it, brilliant voice acting in this movie. And that all stems from the cartoon series where they, they're reprising all of their roles. Um, another person to mention real quick is just the Phantasm. Um, the voice is Stacy Keach. Not a name that you would probably recognize, but if you saw pictures of him, wonderful actor. He's been in a ton of things. Deserves to at least be mentioned here. He did strike fear when he when one hundred percent struck fear. So one of the things I really like, and it's so weird because I love the animation style, but this podcast is all about does it hold up? To me, the animation style does hold up, but merely for one reason. It's different. Now, in 1993, when this movie came out and people were watching it, it wasn't different. That's what animation kind of looked like at the time. But watching it again in 2022, it's so refreshing to have this different take on what animation can be. It wasn't the typical Pixar thing and Universal thing and Illumination thing. It had this weird feel to it this graininess that you could tell these people put their love and passion into these hand-drawn animation now i will never say no to hand-drawn it is honestly some of the most beautiful animation that has ever been so far i should say um but i did struggle a little bit you know just because it does get a little blurry in parts it might have just not have transferred over well because we did watch this on hbo max so maybe it just didn't transfer over well but there were some scenes that were definitely just blurry not not grainy like it's older just blurry and i struggled through that but that you know i'm spoiled (laughs) yeah yeah everybody's spoiled with today's animation that looks crisp looks real has this feel to it um one of the things that 
could have accounted for why it was blurry, and this leads us into our second fun fact, is this movie was never meant to be released theatrically. It was going to be a straight-to-DVD, well, straight-to-VHS at the time, release, and whoever bought it, whoever did it, whatever. They didn't mm-hmm. care. But as the animation, as the cartoon took off and became hugely popular, Warner Brothers actually went back to the animation studio and said, okay, we're going to make this a theatrical release. You now have eight months to finish. Only eight months? Only eight months. Now, I don't know what the time frame was that they originally had, but most animated movies you see now are at least two years in the making. Two to three years, if not longer. I mean, imagine hand-drawing all of that in eight months. In eight months. Now, they have a lot of workers on it, but for reference, Lion King took just under two years to make. Aladdin took just over two years to make. This had eight months. So... For a little bit of a blurry and a little bit of inconsistency in the drawing, I'll give it to him. I know, but according to the show, <laughs> I will say that part is a little hard for me to say that it holds up. <laughs> like, uh, I don't know about that. Yeah. So let's talk about the character designs next. So uh, this is my, again, not just vocally definitive Batman. This is also my visually definitive Batman. He has a a lighter colored costume like he did in the original comic book series before all of a sudden everybody was like, he's got to wear all black all the time. (laughs) This is a little bit lighter. It's some gray, a little hint of a blue in it. And he's still striking. He's still fearful. And then Alfred always looks great. Old man, white hair. Joker also looks amazing. But what really stands out to me in this movie is the phantasm. Terrifying. It's this long black coke cloak, which can create billowing fog, a, a scythe gauntlet hand with like a metal hockey mask that looks just, like a skull. Just looks like a skull. It's terrifying. Watching this in 19, I didn't watch it when it first came out in 1993. I was only seven. But I did watch it shortly afterwards. I think the first time I saw this was about 95, 96. Probably rented it from Blockbuster. Oh, good old days, Blockbuster. (laughs) Um, And I remember watching... I was terrified as a kid. Like, it was literally one of the creepiest things. Especially for a kid's... I'm doing finger quotes right now because I don't think it's an actual kid's cartoon. But it was made for kids at the time. Yeah. I mean, they kind of killed too many people for it to be... But it's still technically a kid's cartoon. Um, Yeah. But for a a kid's cartoon, scared the living hell out of me. Now, you just saw it for the first time now. It's terrifying. It was striking. I wouldn't necessarily say terrifying, simply because I've seen so many different superhero outfits that it... It struck me how much it was made to look like Batman in the idea that it it is there to strike fear. I could definitely see it striking a lot of fear, especially with the billowing of the smoke and being able to, like, kind of disappear and reappear. But for me, the outfit was just okay. Really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. I I mean, I'm not going to disagree with you. Everybody has their opinion. Just, I think it's great. I I know you get a lot of, like, the modern stuff where they go, like, really off the wall and try to, like, gore and gross you out. Mm-hmm. But 
for for a cartoon, the simplistic version, it just it worked well for me. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the themes of the movie. So, again, it's not a Batman movie. It is a Bruce Wayne movie. And that, I think, was hard for people to get behind. But it's also because the theme of the movie is about the, the duality, the struggle, not of Bruce Wayne versus Batman should he stop because people want him to. It's because he falls in love. And it's like, it's so early on. In fact, when he falls in love with Miss Beaumont, with Andy, he's not even Batman yet. Yes, he's out fighting crime and stuff like that, but he's just wearing a ski mask. Wearing long sleeves and a ski mask going around trying to beat people up. He actually hasn't donned the cape and cowl yet. But he knows he he's, has to take that next step until he falls in love. So we get this idea of him proposing means there might never be Batman. And that's crazy to me. It takes a very, like, uh, almost Spider-Man route. Because that's a lot of times his struggle that he goes through is, I have this ability, I should be using it, but to do so would put family and friends in danger and stuff like that. So I, I got a lot of that kind of vibe from this movie. And I thought it was just an interesting uh, inner struggle showing, like, do I do this thing that I think my parents want wanted for me to do right we should say the whole thing is that he thinks this is what he should do for his parents yeah you know a lot of batman lore is he starts out because of his parents but then he just likes doing it he he becomes the batman it's it's his life now where in this one he feels like he owes a debt to his parents Mm -hmm. and the only way to to pay it back is to become the batman so it dealt with his struggle of do I do this for my parents or do I do this other thing falling and, you know, becoming a family person for me. So I thought that was a very interesting inner struggle that you don't get a lot with Batman. Right. This is one of the first times. So one of the things that people talk about Batman constantly is Batman is the real identity Bruce Wayne is the mask. He's the fake guy. Yeah. Here, this movie is the exact opposite. It is... Bruce Wayne is the real person in this movie. Batman is the mask. And it's his struggle of, do I keep doing that? Or should I just stick to who I am? Mm -hmm. And it's that internal conflict of, Batman is not glamorous. It takes its toll on you. It is... It is hard work, and it can destroy you. Which is actually quite interesting, because he does get hurt in this movie. Although he does have a lot of plot armor, I will say that. But he does get hurt, and it's nice to see, because you see a lot of times Batman's just like, Yeah, whatever. I just got dropped down my head from, like, 40 stories, but I'm okay. And this one is like, oh my god, I, like fell backwards slightly, I am now hurt. Like, which is so refreshing to see, being like, oh my god, he fell on a box? Like, that would hurt like heck. And he actually hurt like heck. So, it made it more realistic. Absolutely. And then, one of the great things about this movie that, watching it numerous times, I could see it happening, is, you know, you get a lot of, like, 
love story movies, right? And it's all about they meet, they struggle, and then they end up together. It's just, that's how things are going to go. Yeah. Where this one, every time we do a flashback to the Bruce Wayne love story, we watch it degrade with each consecutive flashback. They meet, and it's meet cute, everything's great, and then they are together, and they're happy, and then you just see the chinks in the relationship happening. He wants to fight crime, she says no. And then she gives in a little bit and says, okay, just come back to me in one piece. And then he has to pretend like, oh, I'm not actually really that good at fighting because he doesn't want to give up his secret. And so it's just lies. And just, like I said, chinks in the armor. And you watch it degrade until the one night he finds a box with the ring that he proposed with. And it's her giving it back and just saying, I had to leave. I'm too young. I can't do this. And just leaves him. Yeah. And that's that's amazing. Watching... The more he becomes Batman is because the less Bruce Wayne's life is going the way he wants it. Yeah, I mean, she literally took that choice into her own hands at that point. She took that away from him having to decide because he actually did decide. He decided on her. And her deciding to leave him was what actually made him put on the actual cowl for the first time. Because when he was like, nope, I'm all in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, That leads us to another fun fact. So, The Batman just came out earlier this year starring Robert Pattinson. And actually, in interviews, Robert Pattinson said that this movie, Batman Mask of the Phantasm, actually helped him prepare for the role because this was more about the struggle and the way you have to decide to be Batman. Mm -hmm. Knowing it's not going to be good. It's not going to be fun. It's going to hurt. It's going to ruin your life. That is an active decision you have to make. And no other Batman movies <clears throat> ever really touch upon that. It's always just, well, he can fight. He's Batman. And he just becomes Batman. We never really see the struggle. Yeah. And this is where we saw that. And Pattinson says this movie helped dictate the Batman. Well, that's... Probably because all the other Batmans at made it seem like Batman was his identity, Bruce Wayne was the mask. So the fact that this was not like so cut and dry on who he is built up the idea that he could play off that struggle of, am I this person or this person? I don't think I can really be both. So where am I going to go from here? Yeah. It's because Batman's a curse and a burden and all the other ones made it seem like being batman was the coolest thing on the planet yeah oh i'm batman i get to run around in a car and i get to fight guys and have cool gadgets and stuff like that and then if you've seen the batman from 2022 that's not what it's about he's he's younger it's it's hard for him to do things he doesn't have cool stuff yet i mean his his car is literally just i think a tricked out mustang or camaro or or a charger i think it's a charger it's not really anything great like we've seen in the other ones. And that's the same thing here. It's Batman's a burden. It's ruining his life that he wants until it's taken away. Yeah. So just really interesting themes that they deal with here in this movie. One little point that you talked about with uh, the Batman being like he doesn't have all these tricked out things. That was actually a part I really, really enjoyed about this film. Was the fact that they showed Batman and you said it's from the comics year one and two. 
you really get to see Bats Year One, where he's literally just in a ski mask and he has a utility belt, but it's like these really like almost knockoff throwing stars. Yeah, they're just and, like, shurikens. Yeah, like little smoke pellets that like a kid down the street could get. So I really appreciated getting that kind of quote-unquote origin story for Batman that wasn't just immediately like, look at my billion dollar worth of uh, gadgets and stuff. I got that, you know, yesterday and I'm 100% amazing at it. So I I thought it was a real nice, uh, more realistic look into... And really built into his character. Yeah. Yeah. We, We understood everything that he was doing because of those subtle little things. Yeah. And it showed that burden on him to be like, okay, this is really hard work that he's having to go through to build this character out. Is he really willing to give this up for this love interest? So, and the fact so that... So quickly. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so we've talked about a lot of the positives of this movie, but I know you actually had some negatives that you want to talk about too. So, do you want to touch upon them? I know one of your biggest things was like the phantasm and Batman and how you wished... There was more. I wish there was more. Honestly, I was that stereotypical fan going into it, and I know you warned me about it, saying this is more of a Bruce Wayne movie than it is a Batman movie. But I tried. I, I tried so hard. <laughs> I know, and yet I still was just like, I want more Batman. Or even if it wasn't more Batman, I wanted more Phantasm. I wanted more of that threat. I, I can't agree with you. Like, you're introducing this new vigilante slash villain um character and you didn't use him as much as you probably could have yeah you could honestly have extended this crime family so that they had more people to go for and really played off the idea that people were thinking that this was batman doing it because they don't know who the phantasm is that the fact that this new entity exists. So the fact that that person was now tarnishing Batman's name, even in the eyes of, like, the police, was an interesting thing that I wish they really would have pushed farther on. And you could have done that so easily by even having just more, little more snippets in there. Right, because you could have easily added in more Phantasm, more Batman stuff, because this is only an hour and 20 minutes long. This is a relatively short movie. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a reason for it. This originally was brought up as a concept for a two-part episode. So, you would get a 20-minute episode and a 20-minute episode and the whole story would be done. So, they actually took a 40-minute thing and extended it. I could not imagine this being only 40 minutes. Like, I felt like I didn't get enough in the hour 20 that we got. Exactly. But that's why I think they just struggled to kind of... But you had room. If this was an hour 40 and we got an extra 20 minutes with the phantasm and saw more of it, it could have worked. On the other yeah. hand, maybe it doesn't, though. Maybe the less amount of phantasm makes that character more interesting. Too much gives away things. I mean, that could be. I, I you know, it, it's a personal choice on that matter because for me, I wanted to see more but I could see where that could go awry easily. Yeah. One of the other things that you, I know you just, you were not happy about at all (laughs) is the use of Batman. Not that there just wasn't enough Batman, but Batman didn't really Batman. And when he did Batman, it kind of didn't make sense. For me, 
he did a lot of things like I initially had this moment where he grabs a bit of glass and he's like, oh, there's something on this. And yeah, I'm like, there's oh a my residue gosh. and he's going to look at it. They're finally going to show us Detective Batman, kind of like in the Batman movie, where it's a lot about where him. Where Alfred did all the detecting. Well, Got it. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's another podcast. That's... <laughs> but I thought we were going to finally get to see the world's best detective Batman doing his thing and figuring stuff out and then it just doesn't go anywhere he well, literally he, goes home and is like I'm gonna look at what this is it's a weird thing and then we never well, he figures out it. what it is and then apparently he he looks at it again later he looks at another piece of evidence but we never see him put the conclusion together which I know can be a bit of Batman's appeal because that does work well in other uh, right, versions of Batman. We don't need Batman. to see how he got there. Just the fact that he got there yeah. means he's a great detective. It was just so unnerving to me for it to be like, we're really focusing on these two bits of evidence to never come back to them. So, Especially that, in this short of a movie where give it extra time and we can see that progression and how he got there. Yeah. So I thought that part of Batman really let me down. So they, they like showed hints of his ability and I know he's still new to Batmaning. That should just be a verb now. Yeah. Batmaning. Batmaning. Um, <laughs> so I know he's new to that. And so he's not going to be like 100% perfect at everything he's doing, but... I just, ah. I know, you wanted more. I you wanted just, more. You wanted so I'm much more. I'm such a glutton. I needed more. <laughs> and for me, it's, I didn't need any more because I, I knew that, I mean, I'm sure the first time back when I was like nine watching this that I probably wanted more Batman. I just don't remember what nine-year-old Adam was doing. All I can remember is this morning. <laughs> um, so I probably did want more Batman watching it now and watching it other times as well. I didn't need it. I, I understand it's a Bruce Wayne story and Batman is just that little cherry on top. What I could have done without is as much Joker because I didn't think this was going to be a Joker-centric movie and I know you had an issue with that as well. I did. It really felt like they just switched villains towards the end because they didn't necessarily want the Phantasm to be like a villain because he's supposed to be a vigilante. Yeah. He's you know, like Batman. So you couldn't really make him be... He just crosses the line. That's yeah. the difference. Batman doesn't kill. Phantasm does. So, like, you wanted to add that extra person in there for them to kind of be like, we're going to team up against this guy, well, right? Yeah, there's always got to be a team up. Yeah. But I just... It had to be the Joker. Yeah, I, I get that. Um, I, I was the same way as you for the longest time. It was actually during this watch how much I realized that maybe the Joker isn't necessarily the Joker we're used to in this movie. He's more of a plot device for the two characters, Batman and the Phantasm, than he is an actual threat or a villain in this. But we're going to go into that. This is your spoiler warning. From here on out, we're going to talk spoilers. You can check the description of the episode for a timestamp of when you can what you can fast forward to so you can jump back in to hear our final thoughts roundups on if this movie holds up but i'm gonna count to three and then we're gonna go into spoiler territory so one two three okay so the joker doesn't actually matter in this movie i know i just said like i wish it wasn't as much as a joker movie but he actually doesn't matter 
What he's there for is to get Batman to realize the Phantasm is freaking Andy. That Joker was one of the reasons that Andy's father was killed and Phantasm's killing all the mob bosses that her father was owed money to and that killed him. They all worked together to take his life. Joker being one of them, he was a low-level guy at the time, but he was part of it. Phantasm's coming back to get revenge for her father. Now, the movie sets it up that is her father the entire time. Phantasm is a really big guy build. He's got a real deep voice provided by Stacy Keach. He's threatening. He moves. He's strong. All this stuff. So I think Joker was actually only there to further their story. I don't think he actually mattered. I get that he could have been somebody else, but we needed a recognizable face. See, I just, I didn't necessarily need that recognizable face. Like, it could have been anyone, but for it to be the Joker, the most villain of Batman villains. But remember, this is Batman Year One. That's true. And Batman Year Two is really where this story arc is. Batman and Joker, they, they've tangled a couple times, but I don't know if he's really at that level of Joker yet. I he's mean, still Joker low-level. is at that level of Batman. He yeah, but he always is. After the first encounter, he's like, I love that man, and I'm going to stalk him for the rest of his life. Yeah. that that That's not even... Because Harley Quinn, who was originally designed and introduced to us in the Batman 1990s cartoon, doesn't exist in this movie yet. She didn't come in until the late in season two of the cartoon. Mm-hmm. Late season two, early season three, somewhere in that time frame. She doesn't even exist in this movie yet. So Joker's still newish to the Jokering and fighting Batman. So they don't really have that dynamic quite yet. And really his whole thing is he was part of why Andy's dad died. So the Phantasm wants revenge. He's hard to kill. Anybody else would probably be easy. In fact, Phantasm kills like four people pretty easily without any pushback. So you had to add somebody there who was hard to kill so that Batman could get involved and they could have a moment of like, why are you the phantasm? Why didn't you tell me? Why are we here? What is going on? We need to not do this. Yeah, I get that. But my problem, and maybe this is because it is the amazing Mark Hamill doing the voice. I just felt like he stole the show at that point. Yeah, I mean, he always steals the show. That's, that's, so that's the, the character. problem, though. If you have, you're making, literally the name of this movie is Mask of the Phantasm. The Phantasm should be the main focus. And then I just lose all that focus because this Joker is just so charismatic and I want to be paying attention to him. Agreed. I just don't think it matters that much because the first two acts are about the Phantasm. Batman and the Phantasm, Bruce and Andy. It's not until the third act that the Joker really gets involved. And again, it's just to further their story together. Yes, Mark Hamill steals every scene. But when your entire screen time equates to like under 10 minutes, that's more like a glorified cameo. You don't really have any bearing on the overall arching story. He wasn't in the flashbacks. He wasn't in early on. He was the last person the Phantasm had to kill. And there we go. Yeah, I I guess... One of the things that it got me, and I, I wanted to talk about this earlier, is I didn't know it was Andy the first time watching this movie. I did not know it was Andy watching No, it, it blew my mind. I was like, 
you're you you're shaped like a dude. You talk like a dude. You move like a dude. What's going on? You're gonna be a dude. You're gonna be a dude. Clearly, you're gonna be a dude. And then it wasn't. And I was like, holy cow, that's amazing. And then I watched it again. And all of a sudden, you notice little things. Early on, Batman's chasing the Phantasm through a parking garage. And the Phantasm takes a corner. And in that instance, it's a very feminine figure. It's a very slim figure. Way different than the Phantasm we've been seeing. In one moment, Bruce is training jujitsu. He's lying. It's actually more like a karate or something. It's not jujitsu. Yeah, jiu-jitsu. none of those moves looked right. Yeah. <laughs> and Andy shows up for a date. And she asks what you're doing. He's like, I'm doing jujitsu. And he kind of like rubs it off, like plays it off like she's not going to know, whatever. Well, she gets involved. She totally flips him. In fact, she does a jujitsu move on him and he's shook. He's like, oh my God. And that's pretty much when he falls in love with her in that moment. And then later in the movie, Batman is fighting the Phantasm. And the Phantasm does the same exact move to Batman. And it's like, oh my God. And these little things come in. They're talking about her father because we can't be together because your father's, you have to pick me or your father. And she says, my father doesn't matter anymore. And you're thinking, oh my God, it's because he's the phantasm. No, it's because he's dead. So it doesn't matter. And she's coming back to get close to him because now she thinks they're on the same level. They're both vigilantes. They're both out saving the world, even though she'll cross the line and he won't. Maybe they can work together. And it's just these little things that you're just like, oh my God, how did I not see that? It's so good. That's exactly what I was thinking. And then even as... I'm watching it as the reveal's happening. I'm like, oh my God, they were pointing to it the entire time. How did I not see it? Seriously. Right? Like, why else would Andy exist so heavily in in the flashbacks if she wasn't going to be part of the present day? You knew she had to be there, but she wasn't visually there. Your mind just has to put it together and just, you don't. It's so crazy. Funny thing, another fun fact, this is a spoiler fun fact... Mattel, the toy company, was the one releasing all the Batman toys for the cartoon, for the series. So they released an extra line for this movie. Guess what they did? Did they make the mask removable? They spoiled everything. They put out a toy for the Phantasm, the Phantasm toy, but instead of making just the mask removable, they put it on shelves unmasked. The mask was an accessory you could put on after you opened it. So anybody who went to buy a toy knew who the Phantasm was. <laughs> Two months before the movie ever released. Seriously? Seriously. Wow. Come on, Mattel. How, how do you stupid? mess that up that bad? Like that. How, do, how does that make it out of the, the idea room? Hey, we should put out the uh, Phantasm without a mask on. I know it's going to be like a big twist in the movie, but it'll be funny. Shut up, Mattel. Yeah. Idiots. Ugh, so ridiculous. Yeah. I I just don't see how you can make that kind of mistake. Like... (laughs) Yeah, unbelievable. Anyway, that that was the spoiler part. We're gonna jump back, give our final thoughts on this movie, and find out if it does hold up. Alright, anybody who skipped the spoiler part, welcome back. One last fun fact for everyone... Everybody knows who Hans Zimmer is, right? 
wonderful yeah. composer. He's done it so many things. Of course. Do you know he worked on this? Really? But not as the composer. Well, what did he do? He was the synthesist. <laughs> What's crazy about that, though, this was his first foray into Batman, not his last. He would go on to do the score for the Dark Knight trilogy, all three of the Nolan films, mm-hmm. and Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. Apparently, he just couldn't get enough Batman, and I'm, it all started right here. I mean, who can? Before he was a full-blown composer, he was the synthesist on Batman Mask of the Phantasm. He got a touch of that gothic goodness, and, and he just couldn't let it go. But it's funny, because I can feel Shirley Walker's influence on him in his later scores. Oh, I don't doubt. And it's amazing. So, last little fun fact. All right, time to go into final thoughts here. You want to start? My thought about this movie is that it holds up and not even like by a a low margin i i really think this this movie holds up i know i had issues with it but as a movie itself it was wonderful besides like between all the characterizations the music the story all of it just came together in such a lovely format that i think not even just a Batman movie. This is a good movie. Oh, I 100% agree. For me, this movie absolutely holds up. And for all the reasons you said, but it's because it's a nice change of pace for all the superhero stuff we get now. Mm-hmm. Where it's fast, it's action, things are blowing up, it's funny, it's this. And this movie took it back to like the basics of there's a person behind the mask and how did they get there this is very similar to me of like 2008's iron man where you really get to see how they got to where they were and what kind of tragedies they had to go through and how they come out the other side yet this one did it with a love story i was heartbroken when they didn't end up together i knew they weren't going to end up together i've read batman comics I've watched the cartoon. I've watched all the movies. I knew they weren't going to end up together, and yet I was still heartbroken when he read the note. Everyone knew he was not going to get together with her, otherwise there'd be no Batman. Yeah, and yet I still was like, oh. Yeah, it was so sad. Just just be together. Why is that so hard? So for a, a superhero film like this to have that kind of heart and just soul to it, I... I have to say it holds up. It's one of the... And it's it's worth a watch. Yeah, it's worth a watch. It holds up. It's a very rare superhero movie that deals more with the emotional side of being a superhero and makes you connect to the actual people more than the superheroing side of being a superhero. I'm awesome because I'm super. It's no, no. this is hard because I can't. He was awesome be because he was me. in love. Yeah. Not because he was the Batman. In fact, it's even a point when he's talking to his parents and he has this really heartbreaking conversation with them, asking them to forgive him because he's not going to continue with being the Batman like he promised them he would. And he says, I didn't count on being happy. He never thought he would find happiness again yeah. after he lost his parents and his whole life fell apart. And here it was. And it changed his entire mindset. And to watch him hit those highs 
and then be crushed and brought back down and then know and then see where he went it's a roller coaster of a ride for something that's so slow paced and doesn't have a lot of action and i could turn we watched it today and i could literally turn on turn it on right now and watch it again yeah it's so good and you will be emotionally connected the entire time so absolutely 100% holds up if you've never watched it watch it if you've seen it before watch it again if you're listening to this on spotify we actually have a poll out just let us know yes or no does batman mask of the phantasm hold up for you let us know all right until next week guys keep watching movies bye